0: It's The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, Green, Gardening, and Environment Radio, flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter.
1: Good planets are hard to find, temperate zones and tropic climbs. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing, breathing trees, strong no on and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are
0: hard to find. Good planets are in the man. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova.
1: Good planets are in the main.
2: Good morning, everyone. Good morning.
3: And, hello, uh, hello.
2: And goodbye to Lagata the Cat, who will now find another room uh, and, <laughs> and hang out for the rest of uh, the show, because...
3: What is that? She just starts hearing hearing the theme song and off she goes?
2: Uh, no, she. it's when I turn on the mic and, and I do this, whatever it is uh, I do here, and then she's just, okay, we're done. You're not, I don't know yeah. who you are. I don't, I don't under, where, where's that guy I like? He's, he's suddenly not there anymore. So, uh, uh, oh, well, uh, wait, well, he's
3: put his broadcast uh, voice on. I'm leaving the it, room. Exactly.
2: It's the broadcast voice. It is the, the, <laughs> the persona, the, uh, it, it, Michael turns into Mike somehow. And,
3: um, Mike
2: at the mic. Yeah. Mike at the mic. Hey, a Mike at the mic. How you doing know on a Friday? Uh, leading. No, the, it's a the, Sunday. All Sunday, the way Sunday. into a, into a Saturday and a Sunday um yeah oh dear me sunday yeah sunday <laughs> um and how was your week peggy <laughs>
3: uh, i don't even know where it went it was just like Phew. didn't you like publish just, a mag publish a magazine yes this the week? december issue of december issue of natural awakening chicago is at the printer as we speak and so my head's in january already go figure holidays are done It's wow january you're ahead of the game you're you're
2: the, <laughs> the rest of us are just uh struggling to uh, to keep up and to fi- figure out what's not going to be available at uh our our local uh establishment cuz uh they keep warning us that things won't be available and Kathleen and I've been trying to anticipate what that might mean we have no idea um but
3: you make something else uh
2: i think it was you though who uh, I said the other day we went into a store and there were some empty shelves and you said oh marketing they're doing that on purpose no so it wasn't me it wasn't you all right it was somebody else who no was- I
3: was I I think I was one mentioning there's a cranberry shortage but
2: all right and whether when, there's
3: actually a cranberry shortage or it's just not being delivered to the stores and it's marketing
2: uh, it it could be and uh, that's something that um, our friend Bob Benenson uh wrote about uh the truth the whole truth he says about cranberry sauce well before we get to that and some other stories um yeah who's
3: who's joining us today mike we've got a really
2: good show today uh we're going to have some fun but we're also going to get serious um and uh we're going to start by re-examining Uh, The situation at Bell Bowl Prairie, which uh, those of you who have been following this, it's a a story that uh, is not going to end for a while uh, because nothing's been resolved, really. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, It's just been delayed.
2: Yeah, and uh, if if you're not familiar with the story and you don't follow us, basically there is a a dry gravel prairie, uh, remnant prairie, which means it's been around for thousands of years uh, and we have yet to pave it over. We've tried, but we haven't yet. Um, It was actually used for army exercises back uh, during the great war a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it's right next to Chicago Rockford international airport. Um, And a couple of years ago, the airport decided they were going to expand their operations because Shipping stuff is now what we do in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think it 's the only thing America does anymore we don 't make anything. We just ship stuff around. We move stuff around and we ser serve people and we we have a, a service industry and that's that 's kind of what our economy is is based on, although you know we just popped in six hundred thousand new jobs i 'm not sure exactly where they went, but um,
3: um moving things around.
2: Uh, yeah that was it moving things around well amazon is going to you know they're going to um blow through the entire population of the country uh in a couple of years all 340 million people will have worked at amazon at least once that's that's their business model and then they they spit them out and maybe they take them back in i don't know at any rate right, put them on spacex so there's um there's Bell Bowl Prairie is right next to the airport uh is in danger of being bulldozed over basically to expand the operations the commercial uh, operations
3: bulldozed through and paved over you,
2: you know once the road goes through eh it's it's going to be yeah, a goner. that's
3: what I'm saying bulldozed through and paved over
2: yeah so pave uh, paradise
3: put up that parking lot so we we've, talk,
2: we've talked with folks uh, out, out that way uh and and environmentalists and and conservationists really only got wind of this in August of this year, even though the airport had been planning this um, uh, for a couple of years at least, um, like three years now. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's an issue of transparency, as there always is with uh, the big players, whether it's a municipality or an airport board or a city council, uh, in a suburb like Elmhurst that we'll be talking about a little bit today and our friend Nicole Virgil, um, uh, transparency is the first casualty, uh, in a situation where, where it involves, uh, preserving, uh, our, our natural resources or enabling people to mm-hmm. make a better planet. Transparency is the first to go out the window. Uh, and in this case, the uh, it, it's following the the due course of that. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have talked to the folks there uh, about this because uh, once they found out this was going to happen, a lot of people mobilized, and it's really been amazing. We'll talk about this a little bit too. Amazing response in the environmental community, and just concerned people who want who who look at climate change and say enough, enough.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We we we'll look we,
3: at promises being made and then look at the reality and go yeah. these don't match enough right.
2: right there's a lot of stuff like that and sometimes the promises aren't even made uh it's just mm-hmm. uh this is our uh we've decided we want this land and um you know
3: yeah no and, i and, meant grand grandiose plot promises like coming out of global cop, conferences cop 26
2: yeah. yeah well yeah we'll see or if,
3: chicago climate plans or, or, hmm.
2: or all of the stuff oh yeah that's the, oh, right, right. We've got that. There's so many things on the list, and they're all tied together. That's the thing, whether it is Jackson Park and the Obamas, or it's, or it's the southeast side of Chicago and the toxic waste dump at the mouth of the Calumet River, or it's the, uh, also on the southeast side, a, a metal scrap, scrap metal uh, recycling plant that the neighborhood does not want. or it's, Natural
3: gas plants running
2: through areas that they shouldn't be. um or, or a prairie, a remnant yeah. prairie, five, fully uh, 20% of the remnant prairie, dry gravel prairie left in the entire state that, you know, it's going to be a it's casualty of, an afternoon. Casualty yeah. of, of economics. Um, so we're going to talk today to Amy Dahl. She's the director of Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves. Uh, and we are also going to have the first ever on this show, the botanizer, the Illinois botanizer, and uh, he is Chris Benda. He's a research botanist and instructor at Southern Illinois University, and we're going to examine the latest because it was a board meeting this week, um, and uh, some of the, uh, the activists spoke uh, to the board to explain. And, 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 airport and, and, board. The airport board. The right. airport. What did I say? I'm sorry. Uh, the airport. You just said a, a board meeting. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Just pick a board and go go talk to them. Um, <laughs> the airport. They're like board.
3: talking to the wall sometimes yeah, too, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: but Amy is one of the people who uh, who testified at uh, the board meeting, the airport board meeting yeah. on Thursday, uh, and we'll bring you uh, up to speed um, uh, on that. Along with Chris Benda. as I said, I'm very excited because not only do we have the very—it's the very first time we've had an Illinois botanizer on the show, Uh, and we'll explain what a botanizer is later on. We also have a snipologist on the program today, so we've got the botanizer and the snipologist. So, (laughs) ring them all, baby. And all I got to say about that is
4: blah 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 blah.
2: Okay, uh, no, it's great because uh, Dan Costa, who's a friend of the show, and w- we mention his name a lot because he he watches us <laughs> a lot, and he he keeps me on the straight and narrow when I'm talking horticulture, um, because he works at Vern Goer's Vern Goer's greenhouse in Hidden Stales. I can I can say that almost, um, and more uh, coffee for you. Uh, i'll tell you what i'm gonna do it now i don't care i'm, I'm thinking i'm cheers. just i'm just gonna cheers here we go you folks wait while okay, we everybody
3: have... out there this was your coffee break moment this is it I hope, you, I hope
2: you're all sipping right now here hold, we
3: go. Up your, hold up your coffee cup everybody cheers
2: cheers where's i need some baileys in here is what i need so, Wait, no
3: that's 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 a december issue
2: oh, oh all right you're right we're getting to december oh my gosh we've got the holidays coming up so anyway, Dan is going to talk to us. Speaking of holidays, about holiday plants, and how not to kill them. I mean, it's, let's let's be honest. Isn't that isn't that the goal? Is uh, uh, so few. How to
3: enjoy them and how not to kill them?
2: Um, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that will be happening uh, around ten o'clock, and um, I've I've dragged Dan out of his comfort zone, and I've made him uh, do the. The vmix thing here with uh He's we tried, on video we tried to do it on his on his computer, but I think his computer's too old to handle it, so <laughs> we've had to go to the device and uh, dun, so, dun, dun. uh and, and we did a test earlier and, and we did one last night, and I think we're good to go and uh um I'm very grateful to Dan because he is uh has agreed to <laughs> be a guinea pig here and uh talk to us about
3: and, and G- yeah, Jeannie Davis says if her plants live until January, she's good. Well see, and isn't that uh
2: oh, and by the way, and Carrie Dale says Chris Benda is fantastic. So the botanizer mm-hmm. is already getting uh good reports yes. here. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And
3: and good morning everybody that's watching live on the Save Bell Bowl Prairie Facebook group. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh yeah. Um the the, the folks. here – because we there. are
3: broadcasting live on that page right now.
2: Um, and uh, uh, I'm sorry to make you wait till 9:30 for the discussion. So you know, if you want to grab that coffee and come back to uh, to see Amy and or Chris, or
4: listen to us, or
2: listen to us, blah blah blah. You know,
4: blah blah blah, <laughs> blah, blah blah blah.
2: Okay, so <laughs> I I like the the oh, yeah. Greta the Greta yeah. clip there. That's that's my new favorite clip. I mean, because because <laughs> the other thing that you might do when watching us. Ah! Okay. Yes. Okay, you
3: and by the way, you have to send me that one I'll follow up with you after the show. I I I need that because I almost needed it this morning, but we're not talking about that. So, yeah.
2: Oh, the screaming uh Yes. The screaming marmot? This? Yes. Ah!
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I need the video clip for that.
2: I think there's a lot of people out there who would love to have that. You know what you do? You just load it on this thing, and every if you're in a meeting or something and somebody's driving you crazy, you just hit the button. and then Hey, maybe
3: that's the new ringtone on the phone. Uh,
2: that would be a great ringtone. I would like that. Uh, so, And then, of course, we're going to go to meteorologist Rick DeMaio, um, and you'll be happy to know that um, uh, at some point during the show I will be loading in um, a, a, about nine more uh, images that I started well they, they were okay they were loaded in last night, and then there were a little we had a little issue just before the show, and I thought like like a a, a lifeboat that 's sinking, I decided to take out some of the pictures so that the lifeboat would not sink below the waves the, uh, and this would be the electronic lifeboat known as Vmix um and it vmix got up but the pictures are still gone so i have to uh put some of those back in there which we will do
3: <laughs> paul paul. paul says enough with the scream thanks paul no that's paul no 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 the the,
2: the scream it's, it's the the inner scream It's within us all we, we we need that it's um sometimes uh even on a sunday morning uh, but thank you all for, right. but thank you for watching, Paul. Uh, so Rick DeMaio will be here as well. Um, and, and talk about, should we, should we hit him with the, uh, are we going to have a white Christmas question and watch no. his head explode? No, no? not no. yet. No, because that's, isn't that what you do? Would Let's be wait till
3: your, after Thanksgiving.
2: All right. After Thanksgiving, we will ask the, are we going to have a, and I, and I, if I had to guess right now, I'd say no, but, uh, um, I'm not a meteorologist. I just uh, play one on the radio. So, uh, oh, oh, see, and Jeannie says, scream away. So there you go. It's, it's, it's to each his or her own. Uh, ah. So at any rate, welcome to the show. Um, here's the uh, Cranberry story. Um, uh, Bob Benenson, Thanksgiving is coming up this this week right um and uh, he of course is uh the local food forum and you can go he's, to he's
3: on the show every every couple months we have him on bringing us yep. bringing us up yep. to speed on local food and farmers markets go to
2: localfoodforum.substack.com local and you will find his writing um he says I may as well get right to the point. I'm a whole cranberry sauce guy of long standing. I don't remember exactly when whole berry sauce began to be marketed widely, but I remember some spirited debates with a colleague 35 or so years ago in which I argued the whole berry case against his insistence that it isn't Thanksgiving unless you have jellied sauce with the can's product code stamped visibly on the end. And that takes Which a, we all grew up with. That's, boy, oh, boy, just, and that, the sound of it going, <laughs> as it comes out of the can. That was yep. Thanksgiving, folks. <laughs> that is Thanksgiving.
5: Oh. Uh,
2: um, and, and um, I, I have to tell you I, I, that um, Kathleen's uh, brother, Paul, well, Paul's wife, Jan, makes this incredible cranberry ice. And you, you said you want the recipe for that. And Paul, can can does Jan give out that recipe? Because I know he's watching the show. Uh, let us know because Peggy wants it, and it is to die for. It is just, it is lovely. On the other hand, you don't get that sound the as it comes out of the can. There's
3: definitely no can marks on it.
2: Uh, <laughs> that's right. It's the can shape, the marks on there, and as you said, uh, it makes it much easier to put on a sandwich because you just slice the mm-hmm. the the jelly or whatever they call it but short, uh, short
3: of heating it up it never loses its shape so at any rate
2: um if you go to uh, localfoodforum.substack.com uh he has his own recipe bob benison for um cranberries uh um, it, yeah but not...
3: bob's quite the chef
2: too so yeah so, um, Big. I've thought, you know, since we're we I won't even use the word lurching, but we're lurching towards the holiday, um, and uh, uh, we thought, uh, there's two types of people that. in the world: those who want it out of the can, and those who want something <laughs> a little fancier. Right? Is that how
3: that works? What do you something looking? like that? What are I'm you looking, looking for the link. I'm looking for the link. Oh, oh oh okay uh there we are the whole and, whole truth about cranberry sauce there we go right, so
2: that takes us to um I mentioned a little earlier, uh Nicole Virgil, who is our friend who lives in elmhurst illinois um and she's the one who got uh, she's she's a, uh, if you you can find her cause at right to garden um there's a facebook page right to garden there's i believe still a, a website, and i don't i don't know if it's right to or dot dot com i think it's dot com
3: uh, yeah, but we've had her on the program at l- probably at least five or six times yeah talking about her ongoing issues with the city of elmhurst and um putting up a hoop house to grow food for her family in her backyard
2: mm-hmm and by the way, um, it is, it is righttogarden.com. Dot com. Um, yeah. I was trying
3: uh, to. Here it is.
2: Yeah. And, uh, I'm copying
3: so, and pasting that.
2: <laughs> so if you follow that, what happened, basically, like, in 2015, she put up this uh, hoop house so that the, her family, family of four, could grow vegetables all winter long. Um, and um, uh, it was it's stunning uh, construction, really well done. Uh, beautiful, nine feet tall, and I forget exactly how wide and long. Um, and very successful, very success successfully they grew veggies over the winter. As you know, growing veggies over the winter is problematic in these climes. Um, basically, they're in stasis. You get them started, and then they'll they're not going to grow very much because they don't get enough light. But they won't mm-hmm. die, you know, and you could continue to harvest them over the winter.
3: And, and, and some crops will grow on a hoop house nicely over the winter. Yeah. lettuces and things.
2: Sure. Exactly. Um, so uh, the city of Elmhurst um, decided they didn't like this. Somebody did. There, somebody filed a complaint. It's usually one person. It's like one, crank, one cranky person um, says, uh, not in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. Um, of course, it wasn't in their backyard. It was in... Uh, the Virgil's backyard, uh, but uh, the city made them take it down. And so they started negotiating with the city and say, well, what, what do you want? I mean, this is, why, why are you doing this? It's, it's not hurting anybody. Uh, we're just growing food, and the city refused to back down. It refused to back down. It refused to back down. Um, and so last, this year, well, it, for the past couple of years, Nicole took it to the Illinois General Assembly. And guess what? This year, they passed a right to garden. It's not called the right to garden. I forget exactly what the name of the, uh, yeah. the, the bill is. Um, but it's basically a right to garden bill. Uh, and it passed the, uh, the, uh, the General Assembly. and was signed by Governor mm-hmm. Pritzker. End, of,
3: go mm-hmm.
2: end of story, For the whole right? state.
3: That's the whole state, yes. Yeah, for anybody
2: in the state. So uh, it is not the end of story. Um, because now the city decided, well, we'll tell you exactly what size these hoop houses can be now. And what they want is 120 square feet. Uh, and they're allowing them to be nine feet tall, but 120 square feet as, Mm -hmm. uh, if you've garden, it's like, it's, I measured it. Basically it's the size of my kitchen. All right. So imagine a garden, the size, and I have a small kitchen. So that's, that, that would be the size of the garden they're allowing in Elmhurst, at least they proposed in the city mm-hmm. council. Uh, and so uh, Nicole has taken it up uh, uh, um, again with the city council, and she wants to convince them to make it 400 square feet, uh, which is really not that big. Um, and would be sort of a, a minimum to successfully grow crops over the winter in a hoop house. And she started a writing campaign to uh, the uh, city of Elmhurst Council, city council, uh, and you can go to Write to Garden on Facebook and find mm-hmm. the petition, uh, find where you can send a letter. And she wants letters and supports in support. and she's gotten dozens. Of them. In fact, she told me that not one um, is uh, argued with her idea of expanding it from 120 square feet to, yeah. to something larger. She proposes 400. Um, and so she went to city council last Tuesday, I believe. Uh, Tuesday, I, Wednesday. And I think it was on their agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, says she sat for three hours and it never came up. They never brought it up. So, you know, three hours plus, probably more like four or five hours that she's not going to get back in her life. And uh, nothing was resolved in the city. uh, What I told her is that, good, now it's a chance for you to get hundreds and maybe thousands of letters sent to the city of Elmhurst. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this this battle is not over. Um, No, It is not over um and uh when there is some kind of resolution she has agreed to be back on the show and and we will we will talk about it but that's sort of that situation and that's discouraging because a lot of us who want to grow food in our backyard thought this was done in the state of illinois Uh -uh. at least not in the city of elmhurst so um and there were you had a couple of things there. I want I'm, uh, I'm going to look at my list. <laughs> it's a yeah. we only got a yeah, couple there's, more. Yeah, there's minutes.
3: Yeah, and there's there's one that I had sent to you and you said you saw. Yeah. Um, the Chicago Tribune had an article this week and I don't have it open here, but it's basically talking about how so many restaurants are now fast food places especially are looking to put in triple and quadruple drive-through lanes for people to just be able to come in, not use the dining room, pick up their food and leave. And and I think there's a Portillo's that's even going to be opening in Joliet with no dining room, all drive through And, yep, there's good and bad. And that first couple things that hit me was, wow, look at all that extra paved-over surface.
2: Yep.
3: All that extra parking lot.
2: But but to start, you you have to have some sympathy with food establishments. Yeah. It's during the – the pandemic it's been tough and it still is tough because we have a mask mandate in illinois and other states have it and it, and lots of establishments that did not make it through uh i have to admit when i saw the article and i've got the trib article up mm-hmm. here um it's uh, they they mentioned culver's as one um, yeah. and there are some people say yeah okay uh Culver started introducing two lane drive throughs last year Though decisions on whether individual restaurants build them are up to franchise owners. Um, it's part of their broader focus on keeping up with a pandemic boom in to go dining that continues to outpace growth in dine in sales. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. people, I, right. They don't want to. You won't yeah. find me in a restaurant. I'm sorry. And I, and I apologize to people who, um, who are running restaurants but you know where i stand on that i'm i'm still trying to be careful here
3: but some of this ties back into what we were just saying with nicole to be able to grow your own food as well
2: um what do you mean i'm sorry you mean i'm not sure and cook mean. at home and cook at home. Well,
3: and not doing takeout constantly because as as bruce also posts look at all that extra packaging all that yeah. extra, everything. It's, it's, it's a whole interwoven cycle of health concerns, of packaging, of paving, of driving, of this, of this, of this. Packaging of...
2: And, and, and the energy uh, expended to deliver everything. We have now become a just order it and have it show up on your porch kind of society.
3: Via Amazon, via airports, via, hmm. Mm-hmm. Gee, there's a tie yeah, so, uh, but I, I
2: have to admit, uh, and, and I sympathize with the restaurant owners and employees, managers, uh, as I sympathize with people in the entertainment world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I have a lot like of- Like the Frozen Robins. Like the Frozen Robins, but I'm thinking people I know in theater uh, yeah. who are just starting to open up theaters in the last few months. Um, and, and seeing how that works, um, it's, it's a tough world out there for that. So how um, do
3: we remake, this rhetorical question, how do we remake some of those types of businesses so that they are more efficient?
2: Well, rhetorical question. I don't know, because we're, the, uh, we're getting a, a away from, um, the uh, idea of uh less packaging with as we go into this new realm i got mm-hmm. i had to upgrade my phone uh which i did this week and that was an adventure as well because suddenly i for had for another
3: no, show for another show <laughs>
2: but uh, but for for about 3 days i had no internet connection unless i was at home now you know how that well that works with it with a cell phone yeah
3: and you had a voicemail that was a head scratcher
2: Uh, yeah, (laughs) that, but the point is they sent us new SIM cards in a box like this Mm -hmm. with plastic in it and a SIM card that is that big. And I thought, that's nuts. What are you, what are you protecting here? Because the SIM card itself was, was in a, in a cardboard card that you opened up (laughs) and you remove the SIM card. Um, that kind of stuff uh, that, that that makes us all a little crazy. I mean, you know, in the last week, we talked about bottle recycling as well. You know, the idea, uh, as I was listening to the show again, I thought, I wish I had hammered home a little more. These are bottles we're talking about. It's hard to recycle a bottle sometimes in America now and the world. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, we have – there's a lot more uh, Just,
3: just, the, just the, the bigger point being it all ties in together to the same themes.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I guess that is the whole point. And that's the point of this show is that whether you're talking about uh, uh, dredging toxic materials and piling it up in, uh, in a park, what should be a park, on the mouth of the Calumet River, or you're bulldozing a prairie, or or you're putting too much packaging together. It's all related to climate change. And uh, if you continue to do that, it's all
4: blah, 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 blah.
2: And we have to get out of that mindset, Mm -hmm. I guess, somehow. Okay. Uh, Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We need to have that discussion about Bell Bull Prairie with our two guests, and we will do that right after this. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tinyo biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And there are the guests that I referred to earlier on your left in the bottom of the screen, Amy Dow, the director of Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves. Amy, good morning and welcome.
5: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
2: And, And the guy on the right is the Illinois botanizer himself, his self. Uh, Chris Benda, he's a research botanist and instructor at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Um, welcome to uh, to, boy, uh, Chris, you you got the tie on. What uh, to to what do I, I owe this honor?
4: It even has flowers on it.
0: Wow.
2: Oh, let's let's take a look at that. In fact, let me get this out of the way so we can see. Look at that. All right, and you've even got the uh, the fisheye lens on uh, on your. Uh, on your computer camera there which is great i love i love i love the deal here so uh uh explain to our audience very briefly before we get into this conversation what is a botanizer chris
4: well it's one who botanizes so botany being looking at plants <laughs>
2: okay you know, I, I just love the phrase, and as I mentioned uh, before, it's the very first time uh, on our show that we will have a botanizer and a snipologist uh, on on the same show. Um, Amy, let's let's start this. There's a lot going on, and, and and we've got like you know 25 minutes here, and we'll never get to all of it, uh, but that's okay because um, there's right now a lot being written about this uh folks are talking about this if if you just go to SaveBellBullPrairie.org um and look at everything you can you, you can do a, a timeline you can look at all the media coverage on this mm-hmm. and i'm i'm pleased to say that a couple of our shows are also uh posted yeah. uh, up there um and i hope this one is Thank too you. um and uh it's it's quite a groundswell from uh a big beginnings in august when this sort of leaked out that that this prairie that had been managed uh by the natural land institute for decades uh might not exist as of november 1st i mean we're past Mm -hmm. the point where it was supposed to be bulldozed but uh that uh that groundswell of support for the prairie has been nothing short of remarkable. Hasn't it, Amy?
5: It has been really remarkable how many people across, it's not just a Rockford or Winnebago County, um, initiative, that it was people across the state and eventually people across the country that, that stepped up and said, we care about this. And I think you and Peggy talked about this. This is about more than five acres or 14 acres or just a small, uh, small acreage of, of prairie but this is about our biodiversity resources and it's about climate change and and the environment and people care about this and are paying attention
2: I think one of the most important things uh, I've read and I linked to it on my blog is a is is another blog post by uh, noted Illinois naturalist Stephen Packard uh, mm-hmm. that's excellent that's, post it's an, an anybody has a chance uh, take I'm a going look. to
3: post the link right now. Too. Okay,
2: great. So uh, folks watching this uh, can, can look at it. In fact, uh, you alerted me to that, Amy, so thank you for that. Um, he, he raises probably the most interesting question of all uh, for going forward, for moving forward, which is how did this happen? How was this allowed to happen? How did this fly under the radar? Uh, so that for uh, so long for so well yeah for at least a couple of years so that and and where else is it happening he he raises that question too right so Mm -hmm. and and so what other areas are we going to have to scramble to protect so uh amy i thought that was um uh a a stunning revelation to, to read that and say we can't we can't let this happen again and that's where friends of illinois nature preserves comes in does doesn't it
5: to an extent, I think Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves, along with um, with other caring uh, people who care about their natural areas in in their part of the state, um, this happens when when people aren't paying attention and when when people aren't connected to those natural areas. And and so when when a group of people are caring about it, and that's how it was recognized and saved. People people in the community showed up and said, "Wait, there are bulldozers here." And we need to do something about it, and um, and they stepped up. But when people are paying attention to their natural areas, and that involves paying attention um, to the to the to what's happening on the ground, but also mm-hmm. paying attention to your your local politics and the local government agencies and landowners, and and being connected to that. And I think that's one of the things that as as many of us have been kind of paying. It, taking a look at how this happens and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again in the future um, we in conservation are really good at uh, we love to be in our natural areas but sometimes the government processes and the the development processes are can be overwhelming and can be frustrating and the public notice processes are 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 not really um, they're not exciting and sometimes in this case they were they were kind of hidden people people didn't know Um, there was a process for a public notice uh, um, set a few years ago but people didn't didn't get that notice or didn't see that notice and and we need to figure out how to get how to get government to work better and how to get um, conservationists to care Mm -hmm. about all parts of the conservation um, field
3: and the notices also aren't always the clearest There's no, something's X, Y, Z is happening, but there's nothing that's saying, and here's how it's going to affect you, your community, your neighborhood, your, the environment. It's just blah, blah, blah.
5: Exactly. In the case of Belleville Prairie, there's, there, there's a, there's an update to their master plan that goes back as far as 2008. Um, that the airport board adopted. And Paul Cicero, in his, in his letter, um, talked about the fact that this, this expansion plan is, is built upon, uh, work for, for, for many, many years and many, many decades of previous airport boards, um, their plans. But where, where was the, the talk in 2008? about what the impact would be to this remnant prairie Mm -hmm. and it's and it's really hard to say and nobody seemed to have known in 2008 or in 2018.
2: Yeah and um one of the things the airport authority is saying hey we did everything right we did it all by the book um what what are you so upset about um you know where were you uh and and other people have said that including some environmental leaders where where were you uh but as Peggy and you have alluded to these notices often sneak by in in a paper. Um, they're they're not highlighted. Uh, uh, nobody's putting them into context, as as Peggy mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly, you're two years down the road, and there are bulldozers sitting on the edge of a prairie. And and in fact, parts of it already did get bulldozed, Stephen mm-hmm. Packard about uh, ten acres. Um, not mm-hmm. of the the most valuable part of the prairie, but uh, uh, other parts
4: of. And, and Mike, if I may, yes. Steve Packard also says in his blog um, you know that uh, Fish and Wildlife Service and Department of Natural Resources knew about this plan. Like you said, it was several years in the making, and so we need to understand why our conservation organizations aren't uh, sounding the alarm or at least being active yeah. at talking about this. So some biologists, some people within these agencies knew about this well before the bulldozers were lined up. And what, you know, in, like he says at the end of his blog, why the conservationists sometimes feel like they need to keep their mouth shut or it's political. if They are to advocate for their expertise, the things that they believe yeah. in and that they work on. And so I, I think that's a, a strong point to make going forward, too.
3: And, and the other thing I would I don't know if it's a question we can really discuss here, but when the statements come out, such as happened here and as we've seen in many other things, no environmental impact which was some of the things that I think was that fish and wildlife that said it or, or DNR, or I'm not sure who said it in one of the statements, but there's no environmental impact.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's where we got to so go to. Chris. So
3: there's no red flag going up.
2: Right. With, uh, the botanizer, uh, Chris explain how that could possibly
4: have been. The well, case. part of the issue is that we, per, we have some level of protection or at least uh, awareness on particular plants and animals but we don't recognize ecosystems. We don't really recognize high quality habitat. And so we need to have a system that treats a grade A or B, you know, gravel prairie the same way it treats the rusty patch bumblebee or the, you know, the the other rare plants that occur there. So we're just kind of seeing things uh, differently as far as the regulatory process. And I, I suggest that we treat high quality natural communities as a distinct entity that needs to be monitored and protected, uh, throughout time.
2: Uh, you were, uh, you mentioned the letter, um, Amy that came out this week. Let's, let's, let's go back and, and talk a, a little bit about what's happening. There was a board meeting that you testified at, um, or gave comments at, um, however you want to put it. Um, and then a letter uh, that you alluded to, can you can you talk about both of those just a little bit?
5: Sure. Um, Paul Cicero, who is the chair of the Airport Authority Board, um, there he had a, a letter, an opinion piece in the um, in the Rockford paper, um, and 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 it was interesting. He never mentioned directly Belbo Prairie or any of the Prairie, um, but he the letter really talked about how important this uh, this this expansion project is. In the Rockford community um, and to the region, um, and and we've talked about it that that cargo, this airport um, has is a huge huge cargo airport there. That the the number of, of flights that are coming in delivering cargo are very important to our region and um, and to and and then he went on to talk about how this this airport expansion will mean jobs, which means um, reducing poverty, which reduces crime and drug use in the Rockford area and talks about the role of 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 them being humanists and prioritizing human life. Um, so the 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 response to that and and as I told the, the airport board when when we met, when we a few of us got to to give public comment at their meeting on Thursday that that conservationists agree with much of what he's saying, we agree that this airport is, expansion is necessary. We agree that it's important. We agree that um, that having having more jobs is uh, is is important in the Rockford community. And we agree that this airport is is a precious resource. Also, we agree on almost everything except for the fact that this expansion means they have to destroy the prairie. Airport- mm-hmm. Yeah. So we when we.
2: Uh, oh well, one of the things I was I was going to say is that y- you do realize that not mentioning the prairie by name is a strategy. It's a tactic mm-hmm. uh, because it it means it it lowers the value of it. Uh, so you, you speak in generalities, and I and it, it concerned me a little bit that even the governor uh, did not, from what I understand, say Bell Bowl Prairie the words Belleville Prairie, did he at his... Uh, or, no. or even
3: the word prairie.
2: No, he said, I believe that as we fight for our climate, our environment, that we can also do so, we can also do so while creating jobs that we don't need to have a trade-off here. So this is an allusion to the issue, but he didn't directly... A-L-L. Um, right, A-L-L. Not illusion. Right, it's allusion. Allusion to it. Um, and, um, uh, that's what other, uh, other politicians have not said the words bellable prairie either. Yeah, no one's either. saying anything. Um, and that, that's disturbing to me that, um, this, this battle is being fought. It's, uh, w- w- um, what's, what it's, it's, it's not an, an equal battle. It's, uh, um, uh, um, what's the, what's the word when, when it uh oh, and I can't it, I can't come it won't come into my head right now it'll come to me but uh this is part of of what you're facing as well so tell me uh amy what is it you told uh the folks at the airport board on Thursday
5: so we i told the board that um again that we agree with with much of what paul cicero wrote we just disagree that the prairie needs to be destroyed to do it and tried to explain very briefly. Again, you only get three minutes in, in public comment, but that um, that this this prairie is is only a fraction of their three thousand acre site, and um, and it's also a resource just like the airport is. And that I also pointed out that conservationists also prioritize people. Um, it's not just the airport board that that think that people are also important. And I think that was a a big part of what um, what the airports kind of position is is that oh these are these conservationists don't care about people they only care about bees and and plants and that's not that's not the case at all Um, and then I also pointed out that that the laws and government don't always work perfectly and I think that we're seeing that in this example, but it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that um, that we shouldn't be taking a step back and, and doing this the right way. And I also acknowledged um, when I spoke to the airport board that that an 11th hour redesign, as as we're calling this, is not optimal and that designing airports is complicated and we sympathize. And um, but we also think that that this can be done better. And I, I I made it clear. Well, I don't know if I made it clear. I stated the fact that this isn't an us versus them um, mm-hmm problem. That's not the situation we're in. They want to make it an us versus them, but that's not the position that that those of us who are advocating for the prairie want to be in. We want to work with the airport. Um, the, the, this movement rallied thousands and thousands of people across the state to advocate for saving the prairie, and those those people are willing to step up and also advocate for helping the airport come up with a better design and to find funding for it. And yeah. and to advocate for for funding as well because we fully recognize that a redesign will cost money, and that's part yeah. of the challenges of, of this situation.
2: And one of the things, one of the people involved in this who has been on this show is uh, Domenico uh who continues to do things like this, uh, propose design changes, and uh, he's he's doing this on his own time as a volunteer. These these are not etched. Uh, in stone but look he he takes that one and he says well we can we can use that as a design and he he's uh, looking at grand plans uh to put uh, a park state park in 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 the area um here's a slightly different design that he came up with and um he's a a fan of the uh, of transparency, of, of having this process be open, as you say, this is very difficult. Amy, you can't, you can't have all of, you can't just design an airport on a, on the back of an envelope, um, <laughs> and, and and submit yeah. it. Uh, so, I want to get to you, Chris, about the context of this situation and the state of our natural lands in Illinois, because that's basically your beat and what you cover. What does it mean? To lose uh, fully a quarter of dry gravel prairie in Illinois
4: well, what's interesting is that you can consider all of the natural communities that are the remnants that remain in Illinois, and just point zero seven percent remain. So whether you're talking about a wetland or a forest or a prairie, we've reduced the amount that is in a natural, high natural condition to a tiny little piece. so prairies of that are you know an even smaller portion. And the dry gravel prairie is not a common community type in Illinois. So you know most of the farmland was on black soil prairie. Gravel doesn't make very good farmland, obviously. A lot of the gravel prairies were mined, of course. Um, so they were used in that way. but you know mm-hmm. that's some of the reason why they were they were let a, set aside or at least um, never fully developed because there wasn't a lot of value for development on them. Of course, building a road, you do that wherever you want. So we have less than 200 acres of dry gravel prairie in the state. And so five high quality acres of that is a significant piece. And I would argue that all the natural community remnants that are in a high quality condition today need to be preserved because we have literally so little amount remaining.
3: And we, we don't know what's in there. We don't know. And once it's gone, it's gone.
2: So let's get to the, uh, Another development that happened this week, Amy, which is um, the legal implications of this, and um, a letter that uh, of sixty day notice of violations of in- the Endangered Species Act relating to the airport expansion. Can you explain what that was
5: yeah so the the um, the attorneys. That are representing NLI, the Natural Land Institute, have presented the Assistant United States Attorney with a a notice of intent um, basically to to sue. uh, They provided a 60 day notice of the violations to the Endangered Species Act relating to Bell Bowl Prairie. Um, And that was delivered to the U.S. Department of Education, uh, uh, sorry, Department of Transportation, the FAA, um, the U.S. Department of the Interior, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, basically, the kind of the short, short version of that is that for their failure to protect um, Bell Bowl Prairie and their failure to protect the habitat of the the rusty patch bumblebee, and so that um, that was presented. I believe if it's not up already, that notice, that NOI notice, will be up on the Save Bell Bowl Prairie website, so that so that people can take a look at that as well. But it's um, it really. Um, kind of lays out there that that the federal defendants knew and know that that the rusty patch bumblebee is there and they are failing to protect it. Yeah, and and it
3: it is posted right now, by the way.
2: Um, and and there it, it, it is
3: posted there, already. So posted where, Peggy? On on Okay. dot org. Okay, and that link up there was.
2: Um, also, uh, a letter from the Department, Illinois Department of Natural Resources, and it seems to me that that is just a kind of That's an advi- disturbing. <laughs> um, well, it it does seem to indicate that if the board so chooses, the airport board, uh, they they've got to get out a jail free card, uh, which is a, a certain uh, process where you can bypass its incidental taking. Of species uh, you're nodding Chris what, is, what does that mean exactly
4: well it means that you can apply for a permit that says you can kill some animals basically in your process okay so it isn't get out of jail free card to say okay well we have these rules we really don't want you to impact the resource but if you do just make sure you get some paperwork filled out in advance yeah, yeah. make sure
2: it's official um, and so that letter that came out from the IDNR uh, to the FAA, uh, Amy, that was just sort of an advisory letter, right? It doesn't really—it's not as if they're asking for anything in particular.
5: So it seems that that the IDNR—they—they, they, you know, they've what, done what they've called reopened consultation, where <laughs> they take a look at at the impact of the project, and then they 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 have a consultation process and they provide information and this letter this consultation letter was sent to the FAA. So this is their their impression of of what will be the impact to the endangered plants and animals. And they do refer to Bell Bowl Prairie in their letter. Um, but I think as as Chris talked about before, this is one of the one of the complicating factors is that the IDNR doesn't appear to have legal authority To protect this natural community and this ecosystem, they can provide information and it's public information and they're providing information to the FAA and to the airport authority, but it doesn't, it doesn't legally protect anything just provides them with information. But
2: as Stephen Packard writes, they have a lot of influence. All right. Just exactly. A, just as uh, politicians have a lot of our, we have two senators, uh, one of whom we heard nothing from, uh, apparently, and the other who's uh, kind of dancing around it. And Governor Pritzker is speaking in, in governor speak um, ab- about the issue. So these people all have a lot of influence in this, don't they?
5: It, it's one of the interesting things that I think a few of us have talked about in the last couple of weeks, that people some of these people and organizations and agencies have said, we don't have any power to do anything about this. And I think what they're confusing is legal authority with power. The, they may not have the legal authority, the law may not allow them to stop this or to do anything about it, but, but that doesn't mean that they don't have power and as you put it as they, they have influence and, they, and that is power that they, that they have to do something.
2: It's uh, uh, another jargon is political will is uh, you can, a lot you can get a lot accomplished if you have political will. It's I, I keep talking about that on the south side of Chicago. If the mayor of Chicago decided that we're going to turn this toxic dump into a park, it'll happen. End of story
4: right there. Okay. Um, and that's a good Point Mike is that we should remind people that this is public land you know there's there's some people who may sympathize with the the government's not going to tell me what to do on my land sort of attitude, but this is land that we all own and that these directors are appointed and they get to make the decision, but they're going to move on and we're all going to have to live with the consequences on land that is ours collectively.
2: That's a really good point, because that keeps coming up uh, uh, in various places on on the the Facebook page as people go back and forth about this and and, and the issue is who owns this land, who gets to make the, the decisions ultimately about whose this? tax dollars go toward it right um and it's all pa- of
5: ours mhm. So many of the, if you look at where their funding is coming from, yes, they levy taxes on Winnebago County residents. The Greater Rockford Airport Authority owns the land and they levy taxes on Winnebago County residents. But many of their projects are funded with state and federal grant funds, which means yep. every one of us are paying ta- that pay taxes are contributing to this expansion project. And that means ultimately, if they destroy the prairie, they used our tax dollars to do it.
2: Well, we only have a couple of minutes here, um, and one of the things that's happening. Yes, Peggy,
3: and I want to make sure that we also talk about how people can help with legal yes, fees. Yes, yes,
2: yes. That's that's good because this is not cheap uh, to to hire lawyers to even to defend um, a valuable. Uh, let me play. Let me say, priceless uh, remnant prairie remnant. Um, we uh, I put this on. Uh, my blog and I post, just
3: put the link up now too.
2: Which is, uh, you started a GoFundMe page, Amy, that I think mm-hmm. people should contribute to. Tell us about that a little bit.
5: So there is a GoFundMe page because uh, there are legal fees. Natural Land Institute has retained the attorneys, so um, so, but they are they are doing that on behalf of many many organizations that. Um And individuals that really want to make sure that this, this prairie is safe, but they are incurring fees, and so many of us are partnering together um to raise funds so there's a goFundMe and there's a I, i'm sure you have shared the link, but it's on the safe prairie dot org website where people can contribute um towards the 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 cost of the legal fees uh for for the actions that are being taken
2: and what i'm going to do is it is in my blog post, but I'm also going to post it separately on my Facebook Mm -hmm. page and on the Twitter account uh, so that folks can uh, jump in and help out. Uh, All right, so that leaves us with where we go in the future. Obviously, we have to pay for legal fees because it might ultimately end up in the courts. Um, Meanwhile, though, folks can't get to the prairie. Uh, It has been pretty much cordoned off, hasn't it? And, uh, Chris, what does that mean in terms of, of keeping uh the prairie maintained
4: well it's going to be hard to do anything if nobody's allowed to access the property and i assume people are able to maybe look through binoculars and see that there's you know any encroachment that has already occurred um not only that but it's 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 really shutting people out of the process too you know you talked about earlier about um that nobody knew about this you know the natural land Institute should, or, or what I wanted to say was Amy said about how, you know, nobody thinks an 11th hour redesign is uh, optimal. Well, the natural land Institute should have been brought in on the conversations long ago. And so we need to have this transparency and, and openness and including visiting the prairie. I was up there and, um, uh, spoke on behalf of, of the prairie at a rally and I stopped by, I wanted to see this site. I've never seen it. And, um, I saw the authorities there and I didn't approach them. I'd heard that they didn't, weren't letting people. So I thought I'd check it out and I didn't go. And I would really like to see this site as an ecologist in Illinois who works very closely with these landscapes. Um, if I can make another point, I want to yeah. say that um, we cannot build these ecosystems. You know, we think about we, we send a human to the moon and we've done all these amazing things. We have this a computer that exists in your pocket. You know, it's amazing. We cannot build a prairie again. But we and also we have spent lots of time and energy and money trying to build these back to at least the best that we can do. And I want to highlight Nachusa Grasslands is a site that is fairly large where they've done that to the best of their ability. Millions of dollars, lots of years, lots of, you know, uh, uh, hours by volunteers to do the best we can. And it is not the same thing. So. You can go out in the Chusa grasslands and you can see there's a couple little areas that are named after Doug and Dot Wade, and they don't look like the rest of the prairie there. Now, it's it's a little bit to the trained eye because you have to understand the plant species that you're seeing, but a high quality, intact prairie ecosystem is not the same as an old field or a roadside or a place where grass is allowed to grow. And I think that's also part of the problem is that the general public doesn't understand. What a natural area is, what a high quality natural remnant is. And those are some of the things that myself and a lot of people that I work with are trying to change. We need people to understand really the value and quality and how to recognize these truly precious areas that remain.
2: Uh, and uh, Peggy just sent me a graphic that we might uh, use uh, to. Uh,
3: Which wrap... is from the Save Bell Bowl Prairie um, Instagram page.
2: Okay. Uh... Here's the Illinois prairie on the left side uh, in the early 1800s, and uh, on the right side, what we have today. There's a tiny, tiny red
3: dot. Look carefully.
2: If that doesn't uh, uh, explain it to people, I don't know how else we can possibly explain it to folks. Before we go, though, uh, Amy, uh, again, all of this raises the question, are you going to be able to sit at the table? Are, uh, it, it doesn't look as though the authority, airport authority wants any environmentalists there. They'll talk to the DNR, they'll talk to the FAA, they'll talk to DOT, but they won't talk to uh, the, the Natural Land Institute or, or uh, Illinois Environmental uh, Council uh, or, or your organization, Friends of Illinois uh, uh, Nature Preserves. Uh, how are you going to get at the table?
5: I think we're we're gonna just keep asking and keep asking. I think that that public pressure. So they have a design, I mean, they they have a design team and they have architects and engineers that also know how to do this as well. They don't need Domenico or Natural Land Institute or Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves. They have a design team that just, they, their client needs to tell them that, that this is what they want is a design that saves the prairie. And their design team will make If they don't, I think we need to. They have said that they are not interested in at this time. Their lawyers got back to the Natural Land Institute lawyers and said at this time they don't want to sit down with any environmentalist design options. But uh, that's that doesn't mind-boggling. I don't. I I don't
2: understand that. I don't understand why. And it it appears this way. And I, I don't. uh, You're not describing it this way. I am. It looks like they're, they're stonewalling. And that this mm-hmm. is that is the strategy. We're just going to say no, 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 and then come March. Okay, fire up the bulldozer. Um, it kind of looks that way. Um, and and I know people are trying to be open and say, uh, w- let's all work together. Let's let's kumbaya this. And uh, I don't see that happening. In fact, we still don't have a plan uh we haven't seen the ultimate plan from the airport for the uh the construction have we
5: I don't think that we have we keep we we keep asking for what the plan is and so we did get um just just late on Friday their 2008 up there was a master plan update that was done in 2008 but that doesn't seem to be the plan that they're following now so i can't i think we've seen bits and pieces of the plan but I don't think we've seen the full plan. Yeah. And I think yeah. one of the speakers, Tyler Smith, at the board meeting at, on, uh, on Thursday evening said, This is not how good government and good boardsmanship works. Yeah. When you, yeah, you need to, you need to be transparent yeah. and communicate. They're just going with,
3: la, 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 um, la. That's what they're doing.
2: Um, and, and, and the lack of transparency is, yeah. uh, is, is frustrating. For everyone else involved in this all right we've gone way over into the uh, next hour um thank you so much uh, amy Dahl, from you. friends of the illinois nature preserves and illinois botanizer chris benda i would love to have you guys back on the show <laughs> sometime this is not done again it's yeah. like i keep saying in all these issues they never end they go on and on and, and on. yes
3: this is this issue where else is it happening what else do we need to know about? You know, it's, it's the whole broader conversation that we need to have with you guys, too. Go to
2: SaveBellBowlPrairie.org for the latest information. It's a really good website, very well designed. You, you had a, a hand in that, uh, Amy, I know. And, uh, and also donate to the GoFundMe, which you can find at uh, SaveBellBowlPrairie.org. You can also find it on my blog post at MikeNovak.net. Uh, Amy and Chris, thank you so much.
5: Thank, Thank you. you so much.
2: All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got the Snipologist next.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Dr. Drew. How are you?
0: Good, Vic. How are you doing today?
4: Pretty good, pretty
2: good. You know, I was just walking through the woods and I saw this burl up here, and it just got
1: me to thinking. I don't really know what these are exactly and why they happen. So, can you tell me anything about tree burls?
0: Yeah. So, tree burls are just sort of a a lump of abnormal growth that occur on the trunks of trees and it is really just a form of hyperplasia which is just unchecked cellular division and growth and in a lot of ways it's sort of uh analogous to a tumor
3: oh okay tumor i
2: understand you kind of lost me in hyperplasia but um what is the cause of the formation of
1: these burrows?
0: well there's several different things that could cause them in, com- in some cases like a tumor they're just a genetic mutation or abnormality um, in other cases, they're caused by pathogens like bacteria, fungi, viruses, or even maybe an insect pest. So are these, are these burrows harmful for the trees? Well, from a health perspective, not usually. It really depends on the size and how much of the trunk is involved because there is functional vasculature in there.
2: And what about from a structural standpoint?
0: Well, that's a tricky question and really needs to be uh, inspected on a case-by-case basis. So if there is a burl on a tree trunk, then it really needs to be inspected by an arborist to make that determination.
4: Okay, so what's the biggest tree burl you've ever seen?
0: Well, you know, in the coast redwood forest, especially the old growth, they get pretty big. And I've seen one the size of my Subaru Outback before.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. That must be a sight to see. Drew, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise. And uh, as always, thanks for being a resource for our arborists here at Bartlett Tree Experts.
0: My pleasure. Call back anytime. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soupçon of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki, and Mike Novak.
4: All I need is good food
2: to eat and Make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake Lettuce, tomatoes, rooted bacon What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat All I need is good food to eat All I need is good tools to make me Music, porches, lingerie all that I can do. And welcome back to the There's Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. While I adjust my camera and we look at snipologist Dan Costa, and let me apologize <laughs> for <laughs> to uh, Bartlett tree experts. Uh, yeah,
3: I what hit, happened there?
2: I hit a button. It's like you got. <laughs> I got to stop hitting buttons, you know. And and suddenly it, it it popped to our screen. I went, that's not right. Let's go back to the commercial. Well, <laughs> so that's <laughs> we did a. <laughs> Folks missed it the first time. You know? That's right, right. And I wasn't sure exactly where to pop back in, but that—that's eh, what it was. Wow! Look at the the light coming and going at, at Dan Costa's place. Uh, I Have no you. idea why that's doing that.
6: <laughs> uh,
2: we'll, we'll figure it out by uh, by Christmas. Um, but Dan, of course, works at. Uh, Vern Goer's Greenhouse in Hinsdale, Illinois. It's great to have you with us. Uh, You're usually just commenting and and correcting me, and that's okay. I I appreciate it uh, anytime. Um, But we wanted to talk a little bit this morning about the plants that people are going to uh, have in their homes for the holidays. And look what I've got behind me. This is the surprise I was telling you about, Peggy. Um, Ooh. It is... This came from, look at this. This guy is just, and I've even got the snowman in there. Um, That's that, a Thanksgiving um, cactus. Well, we're going to find that out. Is it a Thanksgiving cactus? Let's get a bloom out there so we can see. Yes, that, that is a Thanksgiving cactus. That is. Okay. So, woo uh, Why is it a Thanksgiving cactus, Dan? Uh,
6: well, you can tell them apart easily because I'm, The leaf segments of yours, there's like little horns on there.
2: Yep.
6: And uh, the true Christmas cactus does not have that. They're more oval uh, Ah, leaf segments. Okay. And also the true uh, Christmas cactus, well, the Thanksgiving cactus you can get in, you know, like pink, white, red, uh, gold colors. But the uh, true Christmas cactus only comes in pink. There's no other color
3: and unfortunately, this is mine with no blooms. Well, see.
6: Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's
2: um, a lot of that. <laughs> well, and, and why is that, uh, Dan? Uh, now, I'll tell you what I did, which is, um, and I got that from a, a, a listener and a viewer, Nancy Bender, who's a, a big fan of the show, and we love her as well. And she was helping move something out of somebody's house, and she said, you want a Christmas cactus? And I said, Yeah. Now, she didn't tell me it was a Thanksgiving cactus, but uh, I said, yeah. And so I got it uh, during the pandemic in the middle of last year, in the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, this past winter, I didn't do anything with it. But this this summer, 2021, I put it out in the back porch for the summer. Um, and Margaret says hers is blooming. So good for you, Margaret. And what good. I did is because I looked up what, what you do. It's about light and temperature, right, Dan?
6: Yeah, both. Uh, either one can trigger it. Uh, and so- uh, either they need uh, short short days and long nights like a poinsettia does, or a good chilling can also set them into flowering. That's what they do down in Florida, where they uh, really don't regulate the light that much. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they ship a lot of plants around the country to the nurseries, so they chill the the cactus down and leave it on the dry side too, and then basically it scares the plant, it thinks it's gonna die. And so it uh I can't believe we do that do what to plants lifespan is which is to produce
2: seed. And so mm-hmm. it produces flowers so it can produce seed and continue the species. Right. And that's and so what I did, I did a little bow. Uh, a little of all three actually. Um I left it out on the porch for a pretty long time. Uh as temperature started to cool, however, um I, I brought it indoors into a room just off uh, to my right here um, that doesn't uh, – I never turn on a light on in there. It does have an open door, so what I did is I put one of these banners you see behind me in front of the plant so that the light was blocked, the light that keeps going on in the kitchen when we turn on the kitchen. So it, yep. it stayed in darkness for a couple of months, and I uh, stopped watering it. I think I watered it once in two months just to make sure that there was some moisture in there. And I I held back. And then, uh, lo and behold, I look. And that room, by the way, stays pretty cold. Our our, our temps in our house uh, in the winter, we keep a pretty constant 63 um, during the day. So that's chilly enough to to trigger flowering. I would think so. Uh, So it was in the dark. I withheld the water. We had chilly temperatures and then boom, I see all these buds on there and I was I was excited. I thought, "Yay, I did it right." How about that, huh? <laughs> so, you get it. Yeah, didn't you got it blooming. I got it blooming. So that's uh that's how you can get your uh So is it
3: too late for somebody who wanted to get their plant blooming? Did they need to do this in well, the fall? Too
2: late to get it to bloom for Christmas,
6: but
4: But will I get it still it to
6: bloom, bloom for Valentine's it'll Day?
3: Yeah. So it will yeah, still, it'll bloom.
2: still bloom.
6: Want to hit Christmas Day, that's
2: all. Yeah, absolutely. So uh you can still do it. well. It's like let's go to uh Amaryllis.
3: Yeah. Uh, right. Nice to have all the blooming in in past the season, you know, not, February. Uh, now
2: as Dan and I both know, if you have an Amaryllis, you do not have an Amaryllis. No, Most I, likely. <laughs> no. Probably. Um I'd say 99% likely yeah. you do not have an Amaryllis. Yeah. Because there's only one species of amaryllis in That's the world. That's why I
3: said most likely you don't.
2: Right. Uh, but what you really have is a hippie astrum. And as you, right. said,
3: you said, Dan,
2: that is what? The backside of That a, a... is the backside of a hippie. Right. Okay. There we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yes well, i
6: have a sick sense of humor that's right <laughs> oh, are,
2: are we the snipologist uh, tools are out okay
6: <laughs> yes
2: um and by the way uh the reason we call dan a snipologist is 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 not nefarious it's this okay this is hey, uh, yes. one of his uh bonsai he is uh very good at this in fact uh, he is the keeper of my very own bonsai, which mm-hmm. is not pictured here, um,
3: and and ends with the Prairie State Bonsai Society,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh,
6: as, if you, you know, will let me know about a week ago, like, before I put the trees in the mulch bed, I could add a picture of yours. And I'm so That's sorry. That like wish... Douglas fir right there, that tree's about a hundred years old. Wow! And if you look uh, to the side, there's some little white flowers there.
2: Yeah. Uh huh. That's actually a
6: hardy orchid, uh, which wow. is a native
2: plant fantastic that's ultra cool uh and by the way um okay um and and you continue to keep it in that uh container right yeah uh it's actually i've
6: always heard that orchids are hard to reproduce from seed this thing is just about a weed it comes up in various pots around Mm -hmm. the uh back there (laughs) you're
2: welcome to uh to send one over my way if you've got extras Uh, anytime. Sure, in the spring, I'll I'll ship you one over. Okay. that's Oh, yeah.
3: Put my name on the list, too, please. And by the way,
2: if you have bonsai, um, and uh, you know, these are, as you can see, it's a Douglas fir. It grows outdoors. You bring it in, you're going to kill it. Right, Dan? Oh, yeah. 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 Six months at tops indoors. Uh, Right, and it needs to be outside. Why is that? Because it needs to go into uh, dormancy? Yeah, it it evolved in
6: a four-season atmosphere, so it uh, the plant requires having the cold of the winter uh, to shut down and go dormant and do what they actually do during the winter winter season uh, indoors. It's like it would be like if somebody put you in a room and they kept the lights on and they kept feeding you coffee and they said you're not going to be able to go to sleep for a week and a half. We're just going to keep you awake for that whole time. Yikes. You're going to get weak and you're going to get sick. Uh, You may die. And it'd be the same thing with, with having one of these plants indoors where it's warm. Uh, They're not going to be able to survive because they're not getting the
2: quote unquote rest that they need. All right. And, and so what you do, you don't just leave them unprotected like that. You put up, something like this this is your mulch pile um where yeah. and all the all that green i assume are the diff the tops of the different uh bonsai
6: yeah there's a green one in the front which is another douglas fir uh up along the right hand edge there's a blue colored one which is juniper the yellow one in the center is the fall color of a larch and those leaves are going to be dropping pretty soon uh, so, yeah, those are all different trees. And there's actually many more in there than what you can see because there's uh, ones that are actually buried more.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how you overwinter your outside bonsai. You protect them. You give them a little shelter. But you leave them outdoors. And uh, you're not watering or anything like that. You're just leaving it to nature, right?
6: Pretty much. The snow usually will keep them moist enough. hmm mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So that's how you take care an overwinter bonsai. Now, the indoor trees are behind me. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Now, what kind do you have indoors, as your light fluctuates there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> let me let me pop up the. Uh, I can do this a uh, larger screen. Here we go. There we go. Ah, it's it's the Snipologist Cam. There we go. <laughs>
6: yeah. There's a. Um... A uh, ficus over there on the sky <laughs> right where my finger is just covering. That's a right ficus. behind uh, the
3: uh, behind the white the white cyclamen. Is that
6: yeah. what you're pointing to? Yeah, that's a, a ficus uh, Chinese banyan type.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, let's see. There's a uh, right by my shoulder. There's a. Uh, uh, a uh, cherry of the Rio Grande del Sol, which is a type of a uh, Eugenia. And next to that is a uh, Portulacaria, or elephant bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's my little so indoor collection.
2: These are basic, yeah. So these are basically mm-hmm. tropicals, uh, uh, you know, and you treat them like you would a tropical, even though in some cases you've turned them into bonsai, right? Yeah, these came into the house in the end of September. Okay. Oh, so and you do like I do then? You you take a lot of them uh, outdoors and make them happy uh, out in. Oh the, yeah, they love the- they love the summer vacation outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. Uh, my plants all thrive, and then I have to sort of get them through the winter uh, indoors. Uh, I've just sent myself
3: uh, a picture. I'm hoping I can I can uh, find well- it. And while you're doing yeah. that, since we're talking holiday plants, yeah. the, white, the white cyclamen by your shoulder?
6: Well, this, let's see if I can get the right spot there. Uh, this is the uh, original Christmas flower. The poinsettia is not. Uh, and this plant uh, uh, comes from the Middle East. It's, uh, na- the species itself is native there. It's called cyclamen and persicum, uh, persicum coming from Persia, which is now uh, Iran. Uh, mm-hmm. So that is the area that you would find it at. The I don't know if you can see, but the foliage has beautiful modeling yeah. in it. Yeah. It looks very, mm-hmm. very pretty. Even if it wasn't in flower, it would look nice. Uh, this is one of so the miniature type of, dwarf types. What, what type
3: that? of care do they need, Dan?
6: Uh Basically, African violet care, so you want to give it uh, moderate light, like an east window type of a light, and water it when it gets a little bit dryish. There is a bulb in there, so if it does dry out totally, you can uh, basically rejuvenate it uh, from the bulb, but you really don't want it to get that far. A lot of times I'll have one that will bloom for just a couple of months or more in the house.
2: It that's just long, keeps producing more flowers yeah. from yeah. the bottom. And you're you're more of a fan of those than you are of. And now you said poinsettia. Some people say poinsettia. On this show, we say ponzetter, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then that way we don't have any questions about how to pronounce it. Ponzetter. Uh You're you're not a huge fan of ponzetters, are you? Well, look at that. All Ooh, right, no. I guess we got to go back. Yes, I little... did bring one
6: home to I show. I can't.
2: All right, well, let's let's pop the, the wide sea. I was ready to pop something else up here, but let's well, hang on. Here we go. Boom. This is your traditional Christmas flower. Right. Uh, mm-hmm.
6: Which has no connection to Christmas. It's native to the country of Mexico. Uh, it was popularized. It was uh, brought in first- by a US ambassador to Mexico whose name, last name was Poinsett, and mm. thus Poinsettia mm. is an honorarium to him. Really? Uh, it was then uh, brought into the United States, and a couple of propagators in California uh, got hold of it and did all the publicity and everything to make it into what we know today as the very popular plant. Uh, this is one of the newer cultivars. It's a bright, hot pink, and the name is uh,
2: Princepedia Queen. Princepedia Queen. Mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and 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 that's the kind people are going to buy. They like the solid colors. Um, you know, you can do all the fancy stuff, but I talked to Joe Hygien at Shady Hill uh, Gardens uh, out in Elburn. Uh, years ago, we've, we used to talk about this every year, and he'd say, yeah, you can you can put as many white and mottled colors and purples as you want out there, and people are going to buy the reds and probably uh, the hot pinks as well because they, they like the tradition of it.
6: Yeah, uh, red is still the most popular color, but I would say that the other colors are starting to pick up pretty good. Really? Okay. Uh, the more golden color, and we got a, like an amber-orange color, which sell pretty good. Uh, there's one with variegated leaves. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very pale pink. So there's a lot of colors out there.
2: And by the way, folks, the red or the hot pink, and it looks red on my screen. Uh, uh, but those mm-hmm. uh, those are leaves. They're bracts. They're not actually flowers. Yeah. And the, the flower is yeah, insignificant. This,
6: this thing here is a bract. This... Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but in the yep. center here, there's some little tiny things. Those are the actual flowers.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And yep. when they get the little yellow on that, that's that flower is open and uh, doing its thing. These will, the center ones will drop out eventually as the flower ages, because those flowers are done. But the bracts will stay around for a long, long time. Sometimes people have them until like June.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well, and, and folks, you can get your points, your Ponzetter, I'm sorry, your Ponzetter <laughs> to recolor the following year if you keep it alive over the summer and bring it in, but you have to do some similar things. You got to put it in a dark place and don't turn on the light, basically.
6: Yeah, it has to have 14 to 16 hours of darkness out of every 24 hour period. So you've got to have in complete darkness for a time. and then, But you still have to bring it out during the day and give it light. You can't just leave it in the dark or die. Right,
2: right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, it, it's you know, tough. I it, ain't that bad of a thing. <laughs> uh, uh, like we not said. Not being a favorite planet. No, it's not your favorite. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to get uh, back to – let's find the picture that I, that I just popped up here uh, to – uh remind people that this is not an amaryllis, really. I right. mean, it's called, that's how they're marketed. Uh, they're marketed as uh, amaryllis, but it is actually a hippie astrum. Um, right. And uh, I have uh, several. In fact, I just <laughs> got them back into the basement. Uh, I probably won't have mine till February, early March. But again,
3: they're nice looking at them then. And, it is and if because, you can, if you can stage them so that one's finishing and another's starting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. At, uh, at Christmas, there's so much going on anyway. My feeling is I don't need it. Uh, I got, I got twinkle lights and whatever else. I don't need
1: yeah.
2: the the uh, hippie astrums there too. Uh, but they, they really come in handy in the dark of winter. So, uh, uh, and, and with that, <laughs> I, I put those outside. Um, mm-hmm. I take them into the basement. I let them dry out. I let the leaves die back, and then after they've rested for a few weeks, bring it up uh, into some warmth, do some watering, and mm-hmm. the stalks come up, if I'm lucky, uh, because once you do it year to year, um, you can you can usually get them to rebloom, but not always. I find that sometimes it doesn't happen. Yeah,
6: well, if you put your uh, emeralds outside for the summer, it gives it a lot more energy, mm-hmm. and then in the... Late fall, you'll find the leaves will start to yellow. And at that time, you want to bring it in, keep it in a cool location, like in your basement maybe, and uh, let it stay dry. And just check it every once in a while. And when you see a little sign of a little bit of new growth coming, then take it out and water Mm -hmm. it and put it in the light. My mom did that with them for many years.
2: Yeah. Mm
3: And, yeah, uh, mine, mine. All the foliage is yellowed, and they're ready to go in the I, basement right
2: I, now. I, but I find, and we need to, to let you go here in a second. I find that uh, the uh, uh, the foliage sometimes lasts a long time. It stays green for a long time down there in the basement. So I'm waiting for it all to die back. Oh, <laughs> well, it should die back pretty soon. <laughs> oh, it will. It's been they've been down there for weeks. Yeah. Uh, Dan Costa, there we go. There's some uh, holiday tips on plants, um, and I hope you learned something new today if you were watching this, uh, Dan. Oh, by the way, you've got to tell us, what are the three types of cacti that, you know, there's the Christmas cactus, the Thanksgiving cactus, and the Easter cactus, but they, what are the scientific names of those?
6: Well, the uh, Thanksgiving cactus would be zygocactus. Uh, the uh, Christmas cactus is Schlumbergera. Uh, and the uh, Thanksgiving cactus is or the Easter cactus is uh, Ripsolidopsis
2: gazoon uh, And
3: they're not really cats. cactus, are they?
6: <laughs> oh, yeah, they're cactus, they're true cactus. Are they
3: real cactus? Okay, are they?
6: Yeah, but they are jungle cactus that actually would live on
2: branches of trees in uh, the
6: uh, in the yeah, rainforest. Cactus.
2: So, not all mm-hmm. cacti um, are arid uh, plants. Right, uh,
6: there are cactuses that that grow in the in the tropics in the jungle uh, as epiphytes.
2: Again, uh, that's what that's what Christmas cactus. Is. Yeah, uh, and I'm not even sure there is a word cacti, so I suppose we'll we'll look that up uh, and figure it out. Dan Costa so, from so
3: hopefully by February or March show we'll we'll be watching this one bloom. Well, following your advice.
2: Right. Follow <laughs> yeah. the advice, and then you, you bring it out. Show us if, if, if you've got some blooms on it, Peggy. That'd be great. Uh, Dan, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, go to Vern Goer's Greenhouse in Hinsdale, Illinois, and you can talk to Dan in person and harass him there uh, because uh, he, he's there four days a week. Yep, and I'm, there I'm known as the horticulturist, not the
6: snipologist.
2: Well, you are a hort. <laughs> I will. I will say that you are a horticulturist. Um, I just thought, uh, in honor of uh, the bonsai, I would use the snipologist title. Uh, great, <laughs> great seeing you, Dan. Thank you so much. Have a great Sunday, and thank you for going out of your comfort zone and and joining us uh, on your uh, your propped up cell phone. It, it worked great. <laughs>
5: Have a great Thanksgiving, Dan.
2: Yo! Oh, happy Thanksgiving to you, Peggy and Mike. All right, and, and to Kathleen as well, and Legata and Basil the dog. So, oh, of course, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next.
3: From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com.
6: I'm Morgan Freeman. I'm not a doctor, but I trust science. And I'm told that for some reason people trust me. So here I am to say... I trust science and I got the vaccine. If you trust me, you'll get the vaccine. In math, it's called the distributive property.
3: In people, it's called taking care of one another. Get the vaccine. Help make our world a safe place for us to enjoy ourselves again,
5: please.
4: We are an indoor hydroponics farm in the Twin Cities. We grow lettuce, greens, and herbs and deliver them year-round. And for the last year or so, we've been growing with Happy Leaf LEDs. Yeah, before that we were using LED light bars from some of the big guys, Philips, GE. Uh, we ran into Poly a little over a year ago at a market outside yep. Chicago, and since then we've been on the Happy Leaf train. Yep. And a year in, we are extremely pleased with how they perform for us. We have some rainbow chard here growing. We get excellent growth. The growth is quick. Leaves are thick. Plants are sturdy. And uh, Happy Leaf LEDs have worked well across all of our plant varieties. Yeah, we use them for our seedlings as well, and that's honestly where we've seen some of the biggest improvements. Seedlings under Happy Leaf are coming in full and thick, thicker stems than what we've seen under the other lights we've used. <laughs>
2: Sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) uh, I was loading. There was a lot of clicking going on. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of clicking and like woohoo! And there he is, meteorologist Rick Demile. Good morning, Rick. Hey, Rick.
1: Hey, Peg. Hey, Mike.
2: Um, So here we are. We're we're about to uh, hit uh, Thanksgiving, Um, and uh, in uh, meteorological terms, are we pretty much
1: where we uh, normally are at this time of year? Uh, well, if you consider going from uh, degrees on Monday to 60 degrees on – actually, 30 degrees Monday morning – a Tuesday morning to 60 degrees Wednesday morning to back to 30 degrees Thursday morning, uh, that's kind of typical for this time of the year. Very, very wide swings in temperature, uh, very wide swings in humidity as well. Uh, if you recall, earlier this week, we had dew points um, – in the upper 50s which was really remarkable and kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened uh, you know back in 2013 when we had that massive tornado outbreak we had temperatures in the mm-hmm. 60s and dew points in the lower season uh, this system had all the earmarks of what occurred back in 2013 outside the fact that it just didn't have enough deep moisture on the front side of it but other than that it reminds us of the fact that the dynamics in the atmosphere, once you get into the second half of November, are very, very different from what you have in the first half of November.
2: Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, you were talking about that moisture. And if you look at, uh, this is the observed, um, uh, yeah, 7 rainfall. Day ra- rainfall. So it just didn't have enough to work with, did it?
1: No. And what's really interesting is this is a great chart that shows you uh, that lake effect rain and snow was the dominant uh, precipitation maker. I mean, if you look downstream of Lake Superior, downstream of Northern Lake Michigan, downstream of Southern Lake Michigan, and then you go downstream of both Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, um, and even some of the higher mountains of Northern New York and also Vermont, uh, this is about as good as it gets uh, from a standpoint of how the Great Lakes this time of the year Um, add moisture to the atmosphere and results in, you know, some heavy amounts of precipitation. Uh, We also had uh, some massive flooding rains down in Southern Florida that had nearly six inches of rain um, in and around the Miami area. And you can see that on the map. In addition to that, uh, they also had massive flooding uh, due to the fact that we had a full moon a couple of nights ago. So the, the, the high tides were in, uh, the heavy rains were in. And once again, they had incredible flooding down in that particular area. And, of course, um, it was noted by the mayor of Miami that uh, we needed money from the infrastructure bill to, to again, continue uh, some of the improvements in the sewer system in, in the southern areas of Florida due to not only high tides when you have a full moon, uh, but high tides when you have a full moon and also heavy rain. So that that kind of little blip down there in Southern Florida kind of went unnoticed nationally, but people who follow the weather uh, in greater detail like myself um, notice that that particular event was was, uh, one of the longer term problems that people in Southern Florida are dealing with um, basically every month when you get heavy rain and you get the full moon. In addition to that, uh, again, we talked about eight to 10 inches of rain possible in part of the Pacific Northwest, uh, and that exactly happened, northwest areas of Oregon, the um, areas around Olympic National Park, uh, and also around parts of northwestern Washington east of Seattle. In addition to that, catastrophic flooding uh, in the areas of British Columbia, and I, I shared that with you early in the week, Mike. Oh, I mean, yeah. Some of the worst, yeah, that's some I, of the worst flooding that we've ever seen there. I, Without
2: a I, doubt. I, I, okay. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I had a bunch of photos ready to go here and I'm going to try to bring up just a couple of them before, uh, yeah. but they, they disappeared on me for, and I won't even go into why it was a, <laughs> a technical thing, but just amazing photos from the uh, Pacific Northwest. And, you know, and again, this is a place where people are used to, uh, uh, a lot of rain, but certainly not the kind of rain that they got this past week.
1: Yeah, and I'll go ahead and try to find the, um, uh, the that link as well. But what was really amazing about that, um, a lot of people have to remember, but that area was hit, well, not hit, but impacted by the massive flooding, or not the massive flooding, but the heat wave um, and also um, the um, wildfires that occurred early in the year. And whenever you get something like that happening and then you follow it up literally like almost two months later uh, with the possibility of of you know heavy rain that falls literally almost three months of rain in a minute, three weeks um, you're gonna get not only flooding but also mudslides as well really remarkable about that is. Again, I, I think it kind of went largely unnoticed here, you know, in the United States, because it's Canada, maybe, I don't know. But yeah. I, I wish the Weather Channel would have done a little more with it. It's just over, you know, it's literally just over the, you know, the, the US border there. Um, and I did find a link, and I am sending it to you now. But what's really amazing about it is you had mudslides in areas that never had mudslides to that degree before. And again, the mudslides were a combination of the fact that you had the heavy rain, but also um, all of the vegetation that was burnt up by the wildfires, um, there was nothing for the soil to hold on to. So the first question you say, is this an extreme climactic event? Yes. The next question is, could this be somewhat related to a more changeable and more variable climate? The answer is yes. The next question is, how do you point that out? And that was, again, this incredibly warm pool of water in the North Pacific uh, that really, I think, overexcited these atmospheric rivers that you get in that part of the Pacific Northwest and British Columbia. So an atmospheric river is basically a flow of moisture that can easily be two to 3,000 miles long. It gets basically just caught up in the jet stream. But the water temperature was about 4 to 5 degrees above normal where the atmospheric river um, was developing. And because of that, you had dew point temperatures in the low to mid sixties as opposed to dew point temperatures in the mid fifties It's also interesting to point out that during these heavy rain events in British Columbia, both Seattle and Portland, Mike and Peg, this is really something that I went, wow, I didn't realize that had record high temperatures, and their record wow. high temperature was wow. like was like it was like sixty five and I'm like. 65 in the middle of November for Seattle and Portland yeah that's actually pretty warm for them and the only way you get that is not with sunshine this was occurring when it was raining out wow. so when you have a record high wow. temperature when it's raining out yeah wow is the way to answer that it was because you had super high levels of humidity coming all the way in from the subtropics not the subtropics 5 degrees north latitude which is sub Columbia and it moved into this area and you had Two to three times uh, the amount of rain you see the cattle or the cows rather being rescued that area um, is literally like the dairy capital of, of Canada out of maybe southern areas of Ontario uh, because it's very very flat between the coast and the mountains and because it never gets cold and you get a lot of rain you have perfect conditions uh, for dairy farms so again this was this was one of those events if you look at British Columbia um, the amount of heat that they had, or I shouldn't say the amount of heat, the magnitude of heat that they had, and the amount of fatalities that they had, and then you get on top of this heavy rain and mudslides, their weather has been nothing but chaotic, uh, literally for the last four to five to almost six months. And and I, it's, I think it's still going kind of largely unnoticed here in the United States
2: and, and you're looking at this and photo looking uh, at This photo, RV trailers are burning in a storage yard um, in uh, in British Columbia uh, right this, yeah. yeah this is just crazy and and it's almost as if the rain caused the fire but I guess what happened is you couldn't get to the trailers because of the flooding uh, I'm not sure
1: but that's just yeah I'm not too sure exactly what caused the fire initially but yeah. clearly not being able to get to them made the fire worse is kind of two way at it. Uh, but when you look at some of the other photographs in those areas, what I noticed is also enormous number of trees uh, that were largely unleafed um, or mm-hmm. most likely were burned due to the wildfires and never got a chance uh, to kind of grow back. So, mm-hmm. again, um, if this would have been in Washington state, this would have been all over the news. Um, but it was in British Columbia. So it was kind of like, well, it's there and it's in Canada. But this is not far from the United States. And this kind of goes to show you that these kind of um, high impact events, which are more so due to a highly variable climate, um, is, is happening more and more. So uh, it's, it'll be to see what, what the overall cost is to the um, economy of British Columbia from a standpoint of their heat the wildfires, the deaths from lack of, of of air conditioning, and then now you have this. I mean, it's one thing after another. So these are the kind of things that would sometimes happen in Northern California. But remember, everything kind of got pushed northward about 500 miles this year, which is one of the reasons why uh, you had wetness in Arizona and Southern California, and you had all the heat across areas of Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. So again, it's one of these things where – People will say, "Oh well, it wasn't that bad in California." All you are really doing is you're taking everything and you just kind of shifting it north, about five to eight degrees. That's one of the ways of of make the Earth look a lot, look a lot bigger when you take something like that and you shift it up five to eight degrees latitude. It's not that far when you look wow. at it from a magnitude of the size of the Earth.
2: And I had about seventeen of those photos lined up, in the, <laughs> you know, in, more of uh, farmers leading cattle and cows uh, in 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 a I, I, I don't know that any of them uh drown uh all of the photos seem to be rather positive they say that led this cow to safety or whatever so that's that's a good thing and right. that's, the last photo i had i'm sorry i'm sort of editing these things on the fly but you can really, you can see the river overflowing its banks wow. there and just so much water yeah. um uh that didn't i didn't wasn't able to crop it the way I wanted to, but again, just um incredible amounts of rain out there, yeah,
1: just this, unbelievable this was, this was this was catastrophic and then in addition to that uh there's many photos that show uh bridges um highways um railroads that were completely washed mm-hmm. away that's not something you go back there and you know you rebuild in in you know two months i mean that that's a year to two years out that you fix something like plus that plus the um, funding. Plus the funding, yeah. I mean, whenever you're in a pandemic, um, it takes so much more effort to get this type of uh, environment, um, you know, back on track. So when when you hear about all the different things that have gone on with the uh, with the infrastructure bill that finally was passed, and then hopefully the Build Back Better bill as well, um, these are all things that are much more needed now than they've ever been needed before. But again, two events. I think about it, Mike. On opposite sides of the continent, Southeast Florida and British Columbia. I, I, I really think they kind of went largely unnoticed here in the United States.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now uh, coming up, then, uh, I believe this is a Sunday forecast map. Um, yeah. We were getting a little rain uh, when just before the
1: show started. Although it looks like it's clearing now up. The right now the sun's out. Yeah.
3: I got. I have sun, yeah, and- sunshine outside.
1: Yeah, and and Peg, you're absolutely right. I mean, right now it's it's sunny basically from about Rockford to Janesville and West, all the way to about the Mississippi River. Uh, so we'll have a fair amount of sun. And you know, I I mentioned this to uh, Rebecca. We went downtown on um, Friday uh, just to get a just get a bite to eat and just to get out. And then we were again. We actually went to the uh, the Adler Planetarium on Saturday, thinking that it was open, and it was not open. I thought, uh, but anyway, just just going downtown and being at the end there, drive there by the Adelope Planetarium, looking west and looking at the city, um, it looked beautiful. I mean, we had a little bit of sun yesterday. We had a little bit of cloudiness. It did clear out a little bit in the afternoon. And I said to her, I go, this is what November looks like. Uh, you get a lot of trees that don't have their leaves anymore. So you begin to see the structure of the trees. I think there's nothing cooler than seeing – the framework of bare trees, it's, it's actually quite beautiful. Um, and then you see the leftover, you know, the maples and some of the last bit of trees that still have their leaves on them, there's not many. But it seems like the leaves are on the trees a little bit later this year uh, than in previous years. Some of the, uh, the grasses and areas around Grand Park are still kind of green. You know, we made it to the, you know, the low 50s, close to fifty low 50s today. This is not bad for November. And, and when you look at the fact that we're going to get really cold tonight, this time tomorrow we'll probably have temperatures uh, maybe about 25 degrees colder as that second cold front comes through. Uh, but as you can see, the way that big high comes in, that's not a high-pressure system coming in the North Pole. That's one that's basically sliding from the Rocky Mountains eastward, and that warm front out across South Dakota uh, begins to move eastbound, and that warms us up during the day on Tuesday, so 50 in the next three or four hours, but still sunshine after this rain passes off to the east. Uh, pretty cold tomorrow, but again, that reminds us that late November, the second half of November. I mean, all bets are off for getting any really extended warm weather this time of the year. You're pretty much. Um, I always say once you get past the 20th of November, it's, it's like winter time around here. But it barely tastes the winter. So we'll yep. get a little bit of a warm up on Tuesday mid to upper. 40s and maybe 50 Wednesday with maybe a little bit of rain, but there's still nothing coming in from the um, from the Arctic. So this is a very very progressive pattern, up and down weather from a standpoint of temperature. Um, So you'll get cool, you'll get warm, but because it's not really getting with the Gulf of Mexico, there's no storms coming in from the Southern Rockies or Texas or Oklahoma. Any any wetness that is really just from high clouds. So even that rain on on Wednesday is maybe a tenth of an inch. And even though there's another cooler air coming in during the day on Thursday, it, it's not pure Arctic air. It's more like polar air. We, we go from upper 40s to near 50 to maybe the mid-30s. You can already see another system developing over the West Rockies that comes through. And by next Friday, you already see another warm front coming through them Because there's no snow in any of the areas, um, pretty much from eastern Colorado all the way to almost Manitoba, um, the ground is dry. And as long as the ground is dry this time of the year, you get down slope warming. You could be in the 60s out there. In fact, I just read that many of the ski resorts from Jackson Hole to Big Sky, South to Steamboatings and Aspen Basin, or not Aspen Basin, Arapaho Basin, um, are not opening up this week. Typically, all of those ski resorts are open up 100%. Uh, but we've been having these mild spells of very progressive patterns coming in off the Pacific Ocean. People will say, yeah, but Rick, you said La Nina is going to bring us more of a dip uh, with the jet stream coming in from the north and west. It will eventually do that, and it has done that. But the bottom of the Pacific Ocean still somewhat above normal, and any systems that come through, the precipitation is not lasting any long period of time. So they've not been able to open up. So this is, again, one of those things when you look back at how economies um, have to plan for highly variable weather conditions at the beginning of the year. Those ski resorts, which typically are doing banner business uh, for Thanksgiving, I've been out in Arapahoe Basin and Winter Park in Thanksgiving, and it's usually packed. But this year, they're not even open. Wow. That that's wow. that's a big deal for them, and clearly coming out of the pandemic, they were hoping uh, for some better news. To start you know, off the season, you know. It's, it's fascinating. It's watch those fascinating uh, high pressure high systems, pressure system. System. and I'm hearing my I'm hearing, feedback. Sorry about that.
2: Feedback. Yeah, uh, we're hearing it too. Yeah, well, it, and there it goes away. See, it comes and it goes, and then you watch the high pressure systems, and then they go across the country. And because of right. the, the clockwise movement, so as it comes in to Chicago, you watch the, the, the weather come in from the northwest, and then it go, Then the high pressure goes by, and then now it's coming up from the southwest, um, as, and, it, it's, and as you say, progressive, one after another, like that across the middle of the country, and you can predict that, okay, yeah, Tuesday's going to be warm, oh, Wednesday's going to get cool, uh, t- Thursday's going to be warm up again, maybe a little rain. So uh, it's very interesting to see it that uh, clearly.
1: You know, one of the things that um, meteorologists love to do—the uh, ones who forecast, you know, long term—is they look at what's called the wave pattern across the globe. Typically, anytime like a three or four wave pattern, meaning that you'll have one wave over North America, you'll have another wave over Western Europe, you'll have another wave over. Um, Eastern Asia, and then you'll have another wave over the North Pacific Ocean. Whenever you have like a four-wave pattern or less, the weather lasts for a longer period of time because long waves tend to move slower, and they tend to tap into either more moisture on the front side or more cooler weather on the back side. Uh, right now, our wave pattern, Mike and Peg, is a seven-wave pattern. So if you would look down on the North Pole and look at the jet stream uh, that goes all the way around the globe, there's actually seven waves. And each one of those waves that move around bring you uh, weather on the front side and weather on the back side. Uh, and because seven waves this time of the year means highly progressive, wave, but variable in nature of a minimal impact, meaning that you'll get really warm and really cold, but it doesn't have a chance to pick up moisture of the ocean a great degree or moisture off the Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico in any great degree, uh, you get weather like this. Think about the last time we had like a real good soaking rain with low clouds, drizzle, and fog. We haven't had that. So this is a pattern that um, is kind of typical of mid to late November. Uh, as soon as you begin to get into a much shorter wave pattern or shorter wavelength, that's when your weather basically will stay the same for about three or four days. Um, and I personally, I, I kind of like this stuff right now. Uh, um, it's it's not, nice. Yeah. Not super, yeah. It You know, it, it, it's not bad. I mean, you walk outside and people say it's cold out. I'm like, it's November in Chicago. And the fact that you could walk three or four blocks on Michigan Avenue and enjoy, you know, the lights tonight and it's going to be cool, but it's not going to be freezing cold. Um, I, I'm all for it. You know, I was trying to
2: describe that, uh, this to uh, a friend the other day. I was saying, "Well, it was a great day. It was like low 40s, sunny. I was outside. It was really nice weather. It felt great." And yeah. and he was arguing that, "Oh, it's cold." I went, "No, no, no. <laughs> this is really good weather. This is nice for November." Yeah, you know, like
1: well, I, context I, I, I though.
3: That. The context for November versus August. Well, and the other thing is he he had
2: had uh I uh, he had sat outside to have lunch. Well, I'm sure he got really cold. I wouldn't have done that in 40-degree weather myself. So that was the difference. That was, his, bundle con- up. That was his context.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I was I was walking Jack's on Canals um, Golf Course. I think I texted Peg on Monday. Um, there were people playing golf before the rain mm-hmm. hit. And then when I was driving downtown yesterday, there were people playing golf um, at Wayland Golf Course. And part of the reason is that, the ground is kind of dry. We haven't had that much rain recently, and I, in an odd way, the grass is greener now than it was in, in <laughs> August. I mean, it, I keep saying, I, I look outside, I'm like, grass is green, and when you yeah. get, you know, when you get that low sun angle with all, I was walking my dog yesterday, and all the different colors and the different shapes yeah. of the leaves um, on the grass. It just it just looked pretty cool, um, you know. Is that going to last another week? You know, probably not. But again, that um, you can take advantage of what Mother Nature gives you, I'm um, all for it. Okay. Well, yeah. let's. You, uh...
3: you you find a sheltered place outside with sun and no wind, and it's going to be gorgeous to sit there for a while.
1: Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. Pig. Um, speaking of of things to do during this time of the year when you want some com- comfort. Uh, we ate at a, a lovely uh, cafe, restaurant, in place, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's a 2000. No, it was. Uh, I'm trying to think of the address again. Yeah, 215 said um, Street, one block north of Armitage. <laughs> We're not getting no, any no, of no, this no. address. You're, no, no, no. I'm just. No, saying, you,
2: you're, you're, you're breaking up. up, up. And, and every time you give the address, it's it's just. It's, it's part Halstead
1: of it. and Armitage, <laughs> you said, right? Yeah, it's like a half block north of Holston and Armitage. The restaurant mm-hmm. is called the Blue Pond Farmhouse, and literally do all, they do all um, sustainable uh, foods. Um, I think it'd be great on the show one day. Okay, I was talking to the owner. Um, they've been there for about three years, and they have a map showing all the different farms in Wisconsin and Illinois and Michigan where they get their food from the most unbelievable cob salad and it was all it was all from 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 local local mm-hmm. farm and and I didn't get into any sort of weather discussion blah 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 but um I always I always like to be able to support places like that so it's the Blue Pond Farmhouse um on uh Holstead just one block north of um Armitage so okay. hopefully if I mention it a few more times I'll get a I'll get a free Cobb salad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, okay, there you go.
3: go.
1: All right, how about a free uh, forecast for now? Uh, Yeah, and by the way, this forecast is handcrafted. How about that? Um, (laughs) So uh, clouds this morning, sun coming in very quickly behind this uh, leading edge of a cold air mass, which is of polar uh, origin. So we'll probably be in the upper 40s to probably low 50s up until about maybe three or four o'clock this afternoon. Uh, windy pick up. But again, that's normal for this time of the year. Uh, overnight low by tomorrow morning, uh, probably about 25. So it's going to be pretty cold, pretty windy. Highs tomorrow, only about 30 to 32. So tomorrow's going to be pretty darn cold. But Get out we today. warm right back up. To the, yeah, we warm right back up. Almost 20 degrees colder, right, than today, Peg? Especially with the, the, the feel like temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mid 40 on Tuesday, close to 50 with clouds and, and maybe a little bit of rain on um, on Wednesday, but good weather for anybody who's doing any traveling in and around the Midwest. And then dry weather for Thanksgiving, but again, you know, seasonable temperatures in the low 40s, and it should remain that way um, right through uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next week. Nothing in the way of any big cold and nothing in the way of any big snows for probably the next two weeks. And it looks – Semi, as we mentioned before, this highly progressive six to seven pattern, uh, probably through the first week of December at this point. All right. When and... are you
3: seeing snow? What's that, Peg? When, when are you seeing snow in the long range?
1: You know what? Um, sometimes when you have these progressive patterns like this, you're able to build up a reservoir of colder air across the northern latitudes from, like, 60 degrees north. That's always one of the things. When you go zonal flow for a while, it builds up. Uh, But you still need something to bring it down. And we're not going to see that with any blocking pattern over the Atlantic, nor are we going to see it with anything coming in from the Pacific Ocean from, like, an ex-typhoon. So to answer that question, um, I don't know. I I don't see anything within the next three weeks that's going to bring us any strong little mid latitude cyclone, uh, that's going to be able to do something that's going to produce any large scale snowstorm. Mm -hmm. So I would love to give an answer, but at this point, I don't, I don't see anything like that. Well, it makes it good for
2: uh, caroling outdoors when we have, uh, these kinds of temperatures and and not too much rain. You're
1: a, you're a a warm Robin, right?
2: That's that's right. We're a toasty Robin. All right. (laughs) Hey,
3: I brought these, so I got to use them. (laughs)
2: Oh, she's got the jingle bells. All right.
1: <laughs> there you go. All right, Rick. All the way.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I will continue in the zonal pattern, and we'll see you next week.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be zonal. <laughs> so, so when someone says, "How are you?" you go, I'm zonal, man. <laughs> uh, and, and have
3: a great Thanksgiving, Rick. <laughs>
1: thanks you too. Peace, love, and happiness, everybody.
2: All right, and I just need to throw that in uh, for. For Rick, for that. Okay. That kind of does it. So we get to do this. And thank all of our terrific guests today. Uh, Amy Dahl from Friends of Illinois Nature Preserves. Chris Benda, the Illinois botanizer. Then, of course, there is Dan Costa, the uh, snipologist. But, yes, he's also a horticulturist. <laughs> if you go to Gower's Greenhouse in Hinsdale, they will say, that's our horticulturist. Uh, Also, thanks to Kathleen, who's on location but still working. Legata the cat who disappeared. Basil the dog who is remarkably quiet. I think that's kind of it until uh, next time. Well,
3: have a a happy Thanksgiving, Oh, right.
2: Everybody uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh,
0: Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) (laughs) we <laughs>